Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, thanks so much for joining us here at episode 78 with Rob Walsh. And a special thank you to a fan who had a shout out, Shannon, over her blog, saltyspaces.com, featured the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast as a top business and creativity podcast that she digs. And I also like what she said, quote, Pete himself is kind of goofy and quirky. And I love that about the podcast because it makes it entertaining and relatable too, end quote. So Thank you, Shannon. I'm glad the the quirky goofy isn't just a turn off like, what a weirdo, I'm out of here, but rather is compelling. So that makes me feel good. And so thanks everyone for your retweets, your shares, your subscribes and all that to help make the show a success. I really appreciate you. And I'd love to hear more about what you're thinking and struggling with and how to make the show all the better. And so you're going to learn a few things that will help you with some thinking and struggling right now with Rob Walsh. And you're going to learn one, pro tips for nailing your presentations. Two, how to bolster your communication by forgetting about yourself. And three, why you should start your own podcast right now. So here's a story about Rob. Rob Walsh was inducted into the Podcasting Hall of Fame in 2016. He saved his life, his marriage, and his career with podcasting. Rob serves as the Vice President of Podcaster Relations for Libsyn, which is my podcast host and the biggest of them all. And prior to joining Lipson in 2007, he is president and founder of Podcast 411 Inc. Rob is co-author of the book Trips of the Podcasting Masters and editor's pick as a top 10 reference book by Amazon.com. Rob was listed as the fifth most influential person in podcasting according to the book Podcasting for Dummies. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links, the stuff that we talk about, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep78. Or if you just like these takeaways all the faster... You can sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over at awesomeatyourjob.com where you hear the summarized wisdom of each guest in an email you can read in under two minutes. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Rob. It's a little different. The vantage point he has, he may have listened to more podcasts than any human alive. Speculative, but quite probable uh, given his role. So without further ado, here's Rob. Rob, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, thanks for having me on the show. Well, you had a lot of fun pieces in your bio and your history. And I was fun to be a part of it when I witnessed you inducted into the podcasting hall of fame right in Chicago. So that was a pretty cool moment. But even way before that, you also say podcasting saved your marriage. How did that come about? I got to quit my day job and spend more time with family and not have to travel. I used to be one of those people where I was traveling five out of six weeks out of the year. I was lucky to be home one week out of six. So that's not good for marriage. And so it saved my marriage, saved my relationship and allowed me to have a relationship when kids came along. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And I guess I'm so fascinated. You have such an interesting vantage point sitting where you sit as the vice president of podcaster relations there for Libsyn, which is the biggest, it's the largest host, right? You've got the most sort of shows under your purview. Yes. And the most downloads. Uh, we'll deliver over 25% of all the downloads that come through iTunes and the podcast app. And as, as far as I know, no one else is even over 10%. And how many shows is that? Over 28,000, well over 28,000, but the official number is over 28,000, but it's much bigger than that. That's so wild. So I guess I'd love to get a quick tidbit from you is like, 
Is there any podcast or, or type of genre that you just haven't seen? It's just like, I've never seen that done before. Or have you seen it all by now? There are podcasts on Manila folders. So Smeed, the company that makes you know Manila folders, has a podcast. Yeah. And there are podcasts on Tree Climbing Association. There's a podcast on professional pig raising. <laughs> I didn't even know there was pig racing happened. There is a podcast <laughs> called, uh, I think it's the Women of Flow, which talks about the woman's monthly period. There are podcasts about everything. Wow, that's fascinating. It's hard for me to think of anything that hasn't been done because there's so many things that I never thought would ever be done. Yeah, well, that is wild. Well, and so you've also done a bit of documenting sort of the best practices and habits you've seen along the way when it comes to sort of skills and tricks of podcasting masters. And in our email exchanges, you mentioned that indeed there are a number of those sort of key skills and principles and takeaways that are absolutely applicable in the corporate or general workplace. What would you say are some of those key carryover pieces? When you look at the big shows and why they're big, I think you look at how they communicate. They communicate clearly, concisely, but more important, they do it with some humor. They educate and entertain. You're never going to be really successful unless it's a comedy podcast and are just entertaining. And you're never going to be really successful if all you do is educate because only education with no humor in it is a very boring podcast. And it's, it's a very boring way to communicate in the workplace. You know, I believe in the workplace. I was in Fortune 500 company and worked my way up that ladder. Those that moved up were the ones that could get up there, speak and do it, not just where they were educating, but where they were entertaining. And that is what we see in the podcast world, the Dan Carlin, the hardcore history of Dan Carlin. Five million downloads an episode. It's not because he's the best researcher out there. He has a delivery method and a, a wit and a humor that is unlike anything else in that field. That's powerful. Five million downloads per episode on history. Yes. Wow. I have not listened to that yet and I'm going to. <laughs> That'll be a nice little show note piece to learn. So, all right. So you're saying some elements associated with the entertainment and the humor. What else? You know, if you want to talk about why podcasting will help in the workplace, Learning how to speak. I mean, when you learning your voice, if you get up there on the podcast and you feel comfortable speaking, if you can bring that forward to a live audience and get in front, so many people are afraid to speak to a live audience that so separates you from the crowd. It really differentiates who you are. Learning about your subject matter. You know, people ask me, what should I podcast about? I said, well, if you're in a business world, really dig into your niche. So many people. They work in a field and they put their hours in and that's it. You really want to excel. You look at the people that excel in the workplace. They're the ones that just immerse themselves in that field. And if doing a podcast about the niche that you work in will set you aside as an expert, but it'll educate you in your research about what you're doing at work. Mm -hmm. Use it as an excuse to learn more about the field that you're in and then do some interviews. Meet the interesting and influential people in your industry, you will find that will quickly turn into better job opportunities in the future. Absolutely. And what's been surprising and delighting for me is just how many people say yes when you ask them to be a guest. And so I imagine you've seen that too. Yeah, I mean, people like to talk. They, they want to get out there and they want to talk. And, and it's rare that you reach out to someone that they'll say, no, some people are really busy and they have a hubris about them. But the majority of people usually are 
pretty amenable and willing to take a few minutes out of their day for an opportunity to talk about something they're passionate about. I mean, that's the key. If you get the, I mean, don't, if you're doing a podcast on manila folders, don't reach out to Tom Cruise and expect him to say, sure, yeah, I'd love to be on your show. You know, it has to match. But, you know, if if you're doing a show about how to organize and you reach out to some key people that, you know, in the HR or business, call it office management field, uh, you'll probably find some interesting people to get on your show. Mm-hmm. Well, so now I'd like to dig in a little bit in terms of making for powerful communications. And so I'm sure you've seen a lot of things that worked well and not so well. And when you see it all line up in terms of entertainment and information in a beautiful way, you can see it's sort of 5 million downloads per podcast episode. That's pretty exciting. So could you share a bit like what are the key distinctions or difference makers when it comes to communication that is sharp versus not as sharp? And how do you make the leap? I think when I look at this and I look at the shows that are successful and the ones that are not, a lot of the ones that aren't make it too much about me. Mm. Not me, the person listening, but me, the person speaking. Right. You know, the producer makes it about themselves. You know, having a funny story about what your four-year-old did yesterday in your show and going on about that for a half an hour doesn't make for good content. So they oftentimes a lot of these shows that I'll hear and you know they'll ask me, "Hey, can you take a look at my show? Why is it not doing well?" Perfect example was one where a person's a public speaker and he's like, "Oh, I'm one of the top public speakers in, in the world and I'm renowned for this and but my podcast doesn't seem to get any audience." And I listened and it was me 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 me. I'm great, I'm this, I'm that. This person went on, it was like a 15, 20 minute episode, each episode. And he'd go on for 13 of the 15 minutes talking about himself and never get to finally the last minute or two give you a tip. And I was just like, I said to him, I was like, you gotta stop making this about yourself and make, think about your listener. Think about why your listener's there. If you're not offering them value in their day, you know, you're, that's why they're there. They're there to either be entertained and educated. And if you're not offering them that value, then they're going to move on really quick because they're going to find other shows that do. So I think the biggest mistake a lot of the producers make is they make it about themselves and not about what they're supposed to be talking about, the content. And you can see that all the time in corporate communications and presentations as well, whether they're not really considering their audience or we had uh, Dr. Nick Morgan share one of his huge pet peeves is when folks are making slides to serve as sort of their cheat sheet or outline for themselves. And they'll say, I know you can't read this because it's for me. You know, I wasn't thinking about Mm -hmm. you, the audience member, when I made this slide, I was thinking about me. So that's a huge clean takeaway and easy to kind of fall prey to that if you're really interested in yourself. What are some of those other tidbits, difference makers? Not doing any research. I mean, thinking that you can just show up and espouse what you know and just get and start rambling in front of the mic with no real direction of where you're going. Clearly no direction of where you're going. There's some people out there that recommend just do the episodes, do it quick. It's an hour long episode. Don't edit. Just get in, record, get done and post it and post every day, you know, whatever it is, half an hour, an hour. And if you're spending 35 minutes on a 30 minute show, you're spending five minutes too much. Those shows get no audience. Mm. I just interviewed Aaron Menke from Lore and it'll be on podcast 411 this week. And, and he spends 35 hours a week, 35 hours on each individual episode. His episodes are 25 minutes long. He spends a lot of time. Dan Carlin, he gets 5 million downloads an episode, sure. But it takes him two, three months to do an episode. Wow. He puts a lot of time into it. 
So people that think that they can just show up, hit record, hit stop, post, and build an audience, not going to happen. Not unless you're just an incredibly funny comedian, you know, and other than that, in which case you're already doing your stand-up gig and you already have your HBO special. But if you're not someone with that HBO special already, take the time, research, and then edit. Make your show sound good and tight. Mm, that's good. And I see parallels there just in terms of the prep that's necessary to have a good, effective meeting versus one that's kind of, you know, meandering or a wasteful of people's time or in a presentation that we're not kind of zeroing in on the most salient of facts and data in terms of driving forward the conversation. This is good. What else are you seeing out there that applies? Thinking that marketing is going to grow your, your show. People think that marketing is the cure-all. And if you throw enough marketing at a bad product, you'll still grow an audience. And that's just like in real world. Yes, you do need to market some, but at the end of the day, the product is the product. And if you don't have a good product, all the marketing in the world won't help. Look at Lone Ranger, the movie is one I always use as an example. $175 million in Disney spent, almost all of that was on marketing, did less than $90 million in sales. Then you have the Sixth Sense, and it was also a Disney movie, if you look at it, who's owned by. They did less than $40 million total production and marketing. It had $625 million in sales. End of the day, it's word of mouth, and that's what makes podcasts grow, not spending 40 hours a week marketing a really bad podcast. I know that you are an enthusiast when it comes to on the feed, your podcast over there at Libsyn. You got your stats, which I have closely listened to and written down. It's like, oh, I'm doing pretty well. That's good. So I don't know. I'm sure it varies wildly, but are there any kind of numerical or quantitative sort of rules of thumb for it's an indicator that tells you, huh, this is naturally something that is getting a degree of word of mouth traction versus, yeah, this is really dead in the water. The numbers are telling a clear story here for you. It depends on the subject matter. I mean, if you have a podcast about professional pig raising and you've been doing it for two years and you're getting 200 downloads an episode, you're probably looking at that as really successful podcast. If you're doing a podcast that's a comedy podcast and you want a general audience, and you've been doing it for two years and you have 200 downloads per episode, you're not funny. Mm. It just, and, you know, I said that once on the feed. Someone emailed me and said, well, I don't even have 200 downloads. I've been doing this over two years. If I had listened to you, I would have quit podcasting early on. I'm like, well, not only is he not funny, he has no sense of humor. Mm. But yeah, you have to look at the niche you're in and what your expectations are. I had a person quit podcasting because he was, he only had 750 downloads an episode. He couldn't break past that number. His podcast was about website design. And I said to him, when's the last time you got up in front of 750 people and talked about website design? So for someone like that, 750 is great. Again, comedy podcast, which is general audience, not so much, but look at your audience and look at what your niche is. And the more niche you are, the lower you should set your expectations. I've had businesses come in that are going to talk about super esoteric things and they think they're going to get 10 or 50,000 downloads an episode. And I'm like, no, you're going to be lucky to get 500. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, but that's good for what you're doing. So mm -hmm. set the bar right for your show and you have to look at it on a per show basis. You can't really say, okay, you know, the median number is 200 and you're only getting 150 and think you're complete failure. Well, again, depends on what your subject matter is. Well, I think that totally makes sense in terms of your downloads per episode number. Here I'm thinking parallels to sort of overall market size versus your market share 
there. You know, pig mm-hmm. racing, smaller market <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. as opposed to comedy. Hey, we all like to laugh. So I guess I'd be curious to hear if there's anything you see with regard to maybe growth rates or trajectories that tell you, whoa, this thing is hot and going places like a Facebook in the early days, like, oh, this is really going places. I could already tell from these numbers versus, hmm, this is a pattern which suggests that it's kind of reached its maturity and and the fullness of what it's may become. If it's a general podcast, let's say comedy or history or something like that, where it's a more general audience, because, you know, everyone loves to laugh and everyone wants to learn. Then you can see it, if that show passes the 10,000 mark and it does it within a few months, you know that it's doing well. I've seen some do it in a month. I was talking to Aaron Menke from Lore, again, that would be a more general one. And we talked about his show where the first month or so, a little over a month, he was in that 150, 200 range per episode. And then all of a sudden it just took off and it kept going and going and going. And you could see that from that point where it took off, it just kept rising. And and that was going to be clearly early on after that initial push, that was going to be a very successful podcast. And he's done great in in 18 months or 17 months since he launched. So on the comedy ones, when when we see those shows get past that 10,000 mark, then we really start taking notice. And But the reality is, if you get past 50,000 downloads, you're in the one percenter. You're a one percenter in the podcast world. Mm -hmm. So the numbers are lower than a lot of people think. And, And it does take a very special podcast to get up in that 1%. You know, when a show passes that 50K, there's only a few niches that, you know, or subject matters that that podcast is likely going to be covering. It's not a podcast about podcasting, that's for sure. Yeah. Podcasts about podcasting, you never get above 5,000. So you have to look at what that niche is. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Anything else that kind of leaps to mind in terms of you're saying, hmm, here's lessons learned when it comes to making or watching podcasts and how that compares to the professional world? Make it something that's interesting to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, but before, don't talk about yourself, but it's okay to create a show that's geared towards you as an audience member. Again, not talking about yourself, but talking about something that's more general. So if you're doing a podcast and you can't even listen to your own podcast because you think the topic you're covering is boring, well, guess what? So does your audience. Mm. Take a little time, make your show interesting for you on that subject matter, put a little humor in it, Take some extra time, work in a little few side pieces. And then the other thing that I think people forget to do, communicate with your audience. Make them part of your show. I think one of the bigger mistakes a lot of podcasters do is they try to put themselves up on you know, the man on the high castle and they, and they try to stay away from everybody else. And it's just, I'm doing my show and I'm broadcasting to the world. No, interact with your audience. The, again, word of mouth marketing only works if your audience is talking. Mm-hmm. And the best way to get your audience talking about your show is to interact with them and make them part of it. You know, community build, which again, if you can build communities, that's another great tool set to have in the workplace. Oh, right. And I think that notion of interacting with customers or users, whether they're kind of external or internal on ongoing basis and refining is just good, smart way to conduct yourself professionally and something that's easy to overlook. You know, we just assume we know what people want instead of like really going out there and asking and then figuring out truly, you know, what is that need? Well, so I'd also love to get your take on in terms of like you talk about these many hours of doing the editing and putting out a podcast episode. What would you say are some of the key ways that when it comes to preparing and refining communications in the workplace Let's just imagine if I were going to make a speech and do a presentation, I want to make it super awesome. 
what would I actually be doing with, say, maybe my five hours of prep or whatever I've allocated to really take it to the next level, in your view? Well, you know, I've done a lot of presentations, and when I'm prepping and trying to make those presentations better, I'm looking to get each slide, each thing I'm talking about, just a little bit more concise so I can really nail each section, if you want to call it, each slide, each topic that you're going to talk about, not inundating people. It's really easy to throw everything at people. It's harder to get it down to the one great nugget on each item. And that's where I think you got to spend a lot of your time isn't just collecting the information, but then sorting it and presenting it in a clear, concise format. Again, I can't stress that enough. I hear too many podcasts where the people just ramble or throw so much at you that you're like, what? I got to go look at a transcript. I have no idea what this person just said. And remember, people are listening, so it's especially on the audio podcast, so they don't have the visual. So you have to explain it a little bit better. You can't throw out wild things and, and, and well, I got this picture above me on the slide that, you know, 2,000 words, you know, picture's worth 1,000 words and there's two pictures up there. I got 2,000 words. Now I don't have to get into that. You have to explain things a little bit clearer in a podcast. All right. So getting it more concise in terms of stripping down to the core essentials and using fewer and fewer words. Do you have any sort of pro tips like in practice? You know, how do you do that? Are you recording yourself? Are you setting arbitrary numbers like, okay, half as many words, half as many again? I recommend you script. Script your podcast. If you're talking on anything technical, you want to script your show. Because if you don't script your show, what will wind up happening? And then again, this is based on a solo show. If you're not scripting your show, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say something. I do a podcast called Today in iOS. And I know it's the A9 processor right now, but I I might mess up and say the A8 processor. And you know what I'm going to get? Five emails. Oh, you messed up. You said A8. What what an idiot. (laughs) So you have to script. And scripting it, that's going to teach you how to to better write. And you're going to be able to filter everything down. So do that. Too many people, again, they show up maybe a couple bullet points, they hit record and they just spew out whatever they're thinking, whatever's on the top of their head. And it's just, it's a rambling mess and their numbers show it. Okay. So with the scripting, I'm thinking that, are you then reading from the script or recommending that? Or you're just saying by going through that thought process of distilling it, it just sort of flows from you in a natural way that is also concise. If you are going to be doing a podcast that is technical in nature or covering a subject matter where there's lots of facts and figures, read the script, which means you do also have to learn how to write for the spoken word, which is a little bit different, but read that script. Don't assume that you're going to remember everything and say everything correctly because you will mess up. You will make mistakes and that will hurt your credibility in your show and your audience is looking to you. That's one thing people don't realize. When you podcast, people look at you with an air of authority. They, they, because there's not many podcasters. There's a lot less podcasters than our bloggers. So it makes you a little bit special. And if you don't hit everything just right and get all the facts right, you will lose listeners quickly. Uh-huh. And you'll get snarky emails, lots of them. Understood. And so I guess I want to hit that point you mentioned about how the written word, some of it lands well written but not spoken. And I think one thing I'm seeing more and more is, as I'm looking at guest bios and they submit it. And I think the word is a subordinate clause at the beginning. So for example, we might say something like a devoted husband and father, Rob Walsh enjoys podcasting. 
Welch, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> we had that conversation. Yeah. So that clause at the beginning, I think that sits well or okay, written, but not so much spoken. Or maybe that's just my own weird pet peeve. You tell me. Yeah, grammatically correct English is not something that sounds very well spoken out loud. So when you speak out loud, you need to write how you want to speak, which takes a little bit of time to learn. It's worth doing. And it depends on the show, too. Some shows, you can kind of get away with it. But I think when you listen to a podcast, you're going to hear the good ones. If you go and look at the top shows, you know, listen to a Dan Carlin, listen to a Revolutions, you're going to hear a little bit different tone and temper. It doesn't sound like the person is reading from a text, even though they, they're scripting out their shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you feel awkward saying it, there are people are going to feel awkward listening to it. Damn. You know, I, I couldn't give you a rule of thumb, but you'll know it when you say it. If you stumble, when you start trying to read it and you just can't read it, you'll realize, wow, this is just awkward. And then I've said that, I've done that before on my show where I've read it and I'm like, well, that was really awkward to say. You know, and, and then I realized, wow, I, I, shouldn't have, I should have probably rewrote that section. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll leave it in for comedic effect. Sometimes I will take it out and rewrite it and re-record it. Okay. But yeah, you'll you'll know as the podcaster when something doesn't feel right because it's just hard getting it out. You trip over the words. Mm-hmm. It's just like when you were in English class and you got up there and read Shakespeare. It didn't feel comfortable, did it? No. Nay, it didn't. Well, so now I'm thinking about sort of the more maybe technological pieces. You've spent a lot of time with your face close to a microphone and just behind it. What are some things that folks should just generally know, maybe overlooked tips and tricks when it comes to microphone technique, like using it right, using it wrong, and things maybe you didn't even know you could do with a microphone that maybe you should start doing? I just have a feeling you've got some opinions here. Well, a few different things. One is don't overspend. Too many people spend way too much money on microphones. They go out and they buy, you know, the women will go out and they'll buy the Heil PR40 mm-hmm. as an example of a mic. And they'll spend a way bunch of money because some podcast consultant told them to go out and buy that mic where the mic is really designed for radio. And not just designed for radio, it's designed for people with baritone voices. So if you're not a person with a, you know, fake radio voice, that's probably not the right mic for you. You go with it, Blue Yeti mic, which is much better for frequency response. So now you're getting really technical. But you have to have the right mic for your voice and understand that voice. But more importantly than that, get in a quiet room. You know, Be in a quiet place with not flat walls. If you go in a room and you talk and you can hear an echo, that's not right. And if you ever walk in a closet and you talk and it sounds like you're muffled, when you're talking, it sounds strange because there's no echo and it's just really muffled. That's the best place to record. If you have a muffled sound when you speak, that's where you want to be recording. But if you can hear a little bit of an echo or you've ever been in a room that has no furniture on the floor, they redid the floors and you walk in a room and you talk and you hear that echo, that is not a good place to record for you. That's not a studio. That's just a room with a microphone. And you can't get the echo out. So good mic tech, the best mic technique is being in a quiet place to record. Another thing is getting a pop filter. People are like, what's a pop filter? Pop filter is this thing that goes in front of the microphone. So when you say your peas, the air coming out of your mouth doesn't hit the microphone and cause this pop. They call it a popping pea. Mm-hmm. So by having that pop filter, and I double pop filter because my I really pop my peas, that helps a lot. It makes it a lot easier on the listener when they're listening. 
Mm-hmm. Now, there's a bit of a distinction between a pop filter and a windscreen. Is this true? They're basically the same, just calling it something different. I double, I put a foam pop filter over the end of my mic, and then I have a windscreen, which is also a pop filter. And they really, it's six of this, half a dozen the other. And some people call them one thing, some people call it the other. And then I put that other one right in front of it so that, again, I don't pop my peas. Okay, yeah, I actually do the same thing in terms of the double. And, and I can tell the difference. So cool. Well, now I'd love to hear from you in terms of, since you have a front row seat to all sorts of podcasts, is there any show or two or three that you think might be particularly interesting for professionals seeking to be more awesome at their jobs and maybe ideally be one that the masses don't know about yet? So it's like they discovered it on this episode with Rob. Well, First thing I would say is if you want to stand out in a job, you know, I emphasize this earlier, hopefully, podcast. So people listening to this that want to be better at their job, you need to get a podcast. So go and listen to some podcasts about podcasting. Learn how to do this. There's a lot of great free advice on the podcast about podcasting. Out there, listen to some podcasts about podcasting and start podcasting. Listen to the School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson or listen to some older episodes of Podcast 411 or even some of the new ones. And, and you'll learn about how to podcast. You'll learn the art of podcasting. That would be the first thing I'd say. Uh, if you're looking for some business-oriented podcasts, Manager Tools is a great podcast that's out there. So that's a you know, business one that I would recommend. All right. Thank you. Well, is there anything else you want to make sure to put out there before we shift gears and hear about your favorite things? No, we'll talk about some of the favorite things. Let's yeah. do it. All right. And how about a, a favorite quote? And this one comes from Dan Carlin. And he said, don't release your next episode until it's better than your last episode. Don't phone it in. This is a guy with 5 million listeners per episode, but one of the biggest shows out there. And he's paranoid that his next episode is going to be a dud. Hmm. And don't be complacent. So that's why I love that quote. He doesn't release his next episode until it's better than his last one. Never be complacent. Hmm. Okay. And how about a favorite study or piece of research? Oh, Edison's research, they do the share of ear report. And that tells you a lot about the podcasting space. So that is always a good research, one that I look at every year once it comes out. So that one is probably the one more than any other research paper that, that I dig into and try to understand completely. Okay. And a favorite book? Anything by Philip K. Dick. Doesn't matter. Anything. Even Mary and the Giant. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use often that's quite handy? Evernote. Evernote, 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 love Evernote, especially when you're scripting up your shows. It's great because you sync between devices so I can be writing my notes on one device and then get it back on the computer. So Evernote is really important. And then the other one is SoundSoap. So if you're going to be doing interviews with people, SoundSoap is a great tool for podcasters. allows you to pull out the background noise. Um, so and you use it as a plug-in writing garage band. So those are my two most valuable tools in my tool chest. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? Answering all the emails from my listeners. If you email me, I will reply or I'll reply on my show. Sometimes I don't reply directly on the email, but I, that's because I'm saving it to read on the show. But even if you're any send me an email that I'm not going to read on the show, then I'll reply back and say, I don't know, <laughs> or thank you for emailing or you know, thank you for the kind words, depending on what it, what it is. But I try to reply to every email. That's what happened. I'm sure I missed a few, but not on purpose. Oh, that's powerful. Now, I can't help but follow up with just how many emails do you get a day and how do you handle it all? What's the secret? I get so many. <laughs> I get a ton. I, I don't even know the number. I looked, yeah, you know, I, I send out hundreds of emails a day on average. 
And it's insane. I've looked at it, the amount of emails I have. I stopped counting a long time ago. But I just try to work through them, just bang them out. And when my inbox gets above 400, my wife can tell because I start getting real jittery. (laughs) All right, so it's just a matter of sheer hours. There's no like sick hacks or tricks that accelerate your progress through them. Yeah, and my only trick is five-hour energy drinks. Okay, got it. Yeah, sleep is for the week. All right. And so would you say you have a particular sort of resonant nugget or quote or thing that you're known for in your um, speaking, writing and interacting with podcasters? I think the one thing when I point out to people, it gets retweeted and requoted is the ratio of female bloggers to female podcasters. And that's 7,500 to one. For every 7,500 female bloggers, there's one female podcaster. And when I say that to women and bloggers, they get it right away. Wow. To stand out from the crowd, podcast. So if you're a female blogger and you're not podcasting, you're not really trying hard to promote your blog because there is a really great venue to separate yourself from your peers. And that's podcasting. Now, overall, it's about 1,000-ish to one, or what's the ratio? 2,000 to one overall. 2,000 to one one bloggers to podcasters. And then when you go females, yeah. Well, it's gotten more dramatic, I think, over the recent years. Yeah, it has. And you don't realize there's a lot of blogs. When you're a blogger, you're competing against even bots, that these robot blogs. You know what? And people are like, oh, well, they're not real bloggers. Yeah, but they're filling up the search results, right? They're filling up the SEO. So they're competing with you for attention. So yes, you are competing with them, even if they're not real. At least in podcasting, you're dealing with humans. There's no robot podcasts. Mm, okay. You know, I mentioned earlier, there's a podcast about everything, but there's still a lot of, lot of room to get into podcasting. Don't think because there's a podcast about everything you shouldn't podcast. You know, I always say, did you like I Dream of Genie and the Adams Family? Or I should say uh, the Munsters? Because I Dream of Genie and the, and the Munsters are really just Bewitched and the Adams Family. Yeah. So it's okay to have another show about something that's already out there. Oh, very good. And what would you say is the best place for folks to find you if they want to learn more? Where would you point them? Go to podcast411.com if you want to learn a little bit more about me and my podcast or Today in iOS is my other main one. And then the easiest thing is just to email me, rob at libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N. And you have questions about podcasting, but more than happy to answer those questions. Oh, cool. And do you have a parting challenge or call to action for those who are seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? If you want to stand out, you want to be looked at as an heir of authority in your field, podcast about your field. You will find quickly that you are asked to speak at events if you're podcasting. This is something people don't realize is if you're podcasting, people that run events know you can speak because they can listen to your podcast. They don't know if you can speak well if you're blogging, but if you're podcasting, it's going to give you an opportunity to get on panels and speak at industry events and that will grow your career more than anything else. Mm, beautiful. Well, Rob, thanks so much for this and for answering all my emails and everyone else's. This has been a lot of fun. And I hope you and Libsyn continue to flourish in these months and years ahead. All right, Pete. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really dig that point about forgetting yourself and yet also bringing some of yourself to show that kind of personality, the entertainment, that enthusiasm. And that's kind of the cool balance there. It's all about serving the listener but you're doing it with your own kind of flavor and spin, and that's the name of the game. So once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F78. And if you haven't already, I do hope you'll punch the subscribe button so you don't miss from folks like our very next guest, 
Jeff Sanders, the host of the 5am miracle. He has millions of downloads to his podcast fame. So you're going to want to hear some of his wit and wisdom. And until then, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 